Today on Crossroads and Culture, does Jesus really want us to get the vaccine? There's a growing effort in evangelical circles that are seeking to encourage and even persuade those who are evangelical Christians to get the vaccine because, in their estimation, it's biblical to do so and Jesus would want us to. But is that true? I'll be discussing this today on Crossroads and Culture. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crossroads in Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. Recently, CBS News uh, cited a report, a survey that was done by the Pew Research Center regarding the hesitancy among evangelicals to get the COVID vaccine. And because of this, they have sought to encourage evangelical leaders like Franklin Graham and Curtis Chang and others to help convince and persuade Christians that they need to get the vaccine. In an effort to do so, they have sought to use biblical references um, to say that the Bible is encouraging of believers getting the vaccine and that Jesus would want us to get the vaccine. But is that, is that true? Is that, is, that, is that true? How do they know that? And where do they get that from Scripture? In an interview with CBS News, uh, and I'm going to link to that site, that interview, on my blog post, uh, seanbernard.wordpress.com, Franklin Graham, who many of you know leads Samaritan's Purse, an international relief charity. He, he is over uh, uh, Operation Christmas Child. Some of you have in your churches have done shoeboxes for kids all over the world, which is a great thing. Um, he referenced, in this interview, he referenced the parable in Luke's Gospel that Jesus told when he was asked, when Jesus was asked by a lawyer, who is my neighbor? Now, Graham's attempt to connect the story of the Good Samaritan, which many of you more than likely are familiar with, with scriptural grounds for encouraging people to take the vaccine is nothing short of eisegesis. Now, eisegesis is just this um, theological term, I guess they are, or uh, a, a term that's often used when dealing with hermeneutics, the study of scripture. Eisegesis is imposing a thought, or it's an idea or a belief on the text of scripture so that the meaning is arbitrary. In other words, making it say or mean what you want it to, kind of inserting yourself into the text, rather than the text coming out of the scriptures, exegesis, taking it out, taking out of the scripture what the text actually says, and then saying, what does this mean? Not what does it mean to me, but what does this mean, and how can I apply this to my life? So proper exegesis, studying the text correctly, is the right method of studying scripture. Eisegesis is inserting yourself into the scriptures and bending the scriptures to what you want it to say so that it it identifies with your ideas or beliefs. So that's really what seems to be happening here when Franklin Graham is talking about the Good Samaritan and relating it to getting the COVID vaccine. So he goes on, and in his own words, Graham says this, quote, Jesus does tell the story of a man that was beaten and robbed and left for dead on the side of a road, and religious leaders walked past him and did not have compassion. They didn't get involved. But a Samaritan had compassion, and he immediately bandaged. He put oil and wine on his wounds and took him to an inn and paid to have him cared for. Now the oil and wine were the medicines of that day. The vaccine is, to me, I believe, is saving life. And that's what Jesus Christ would want us to do, to help save life. It's just a tool to help save life, end quote. 
Now, from his statement, it seems that Franklin Graham is saying that Jesus would want us to help save lives, and by getting the vaccine, we're helping save lives. But that's not what the text is saying, explicitly or implicitly, for at least two reasons. First, the Samaritan helped the man on the road because this man had been beaten up and left for dead. And the chances of this man dying left untended was highly likely. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say that he was left, left half dead. And the Samaritan's compassion for the badly wounded man superseded the cultural racism that existed that day between the Samaritans and the Jews. They hated each other. So by stopping to help, the good Samaritan was willingly putting his life on the line, and his compassion compelled him to do something to render aid so that this man could recover. That's the story. It's a, it's a huge leap to, to connect this story with, with Jesus wanting to help us save lives by getting the vaccine. I mean, if we're going to use Scripture in this way, um, which again is an example of eisegesis, then could we not also infer that Jesus would rather us not mask up based on his encounter with the lepers he healed or Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever? I mean, it's a valid question if Scripture is going to be subjected to eisegesis. Another reason I would say is, number two, is to apply saving lives to a vaccine that has not been proven to do so is, is a reach. I mean, verified data is revealing that the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccine isn't as some experts are leading people to believe. I know of those who've been fully vaccinated and have since gotten COVID-19. I mean, reports of fully vaccinated White House staff contracting COVID, which by the way, they're not giving the numbers for that, which I think is very contradictory compared to how they were blasting other administration, the last administration. But they, many White House staff have contracted COVID after several, several fully vaccinated Texas Democrat legislators went to Washington, D.C., and it's been verified. According to government data and Reuters, um, those who've been fully vaccinated with either the Pfizer or Moderna mRNA vaccines comprise 75% of COVID-19 infections in, in Singapore. The Israeli Health Ministry is reporting that 50% of COVID-19 cases in Israel are among those who have been fully vaccinated. In the UK, Sky News has reported that 60% of hospitalizations due to COVID-19 are those who have been fully vaccinated. And according to Johns Hopkins University, 85% of the population of Cyprus are fully vaccinated, yet have the highest COVID-19 cases in the world per capita. And I could go on. The United Arab Emirates, Chile, Uruguay, Mongolia, and many other countries have a high percentage of vaccination, yet have a high number of COVID-19 cases. Now, I mentioned these verified statistics from valid sources to say that I'm not so sure that the vaccines are actually easing the suffering as much as some would like to think. And if you were to look at VAERS, which you probably have heard about that in the news recently, VAERS is Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. That's what it stands for. It's a government site for providers and doctors to report issues with vaccines. You're gonna, you would see a surprising number of reported side effects injuries, and deaths that have been associated with the COVID-19 vaccines. Now, although the number of deaths in relation to the number of vaccines that have been administered is relatively low, I want to be, I want to be very transparent with that. I don't want to try to make a case that's not there. Equally so is the death rate among groups 0 to 70 years of age due to COVID. Interestingly enough, I found, I found this intriguing, that in 1976, Mike Wallace of 60 Minutes covered the swine flu mass vaccination program, which was halted after only 4,000 reported adverse events. That's not deaths. That's adverse events. 
And yet, according to VAERS, there have been 12,314 reports of death after getting the vaccine. Now, there may have been some other underlying issues with that that they would say that the vaccine contributed to or exacerbated the issue. That's not including the thousands of non-death adverse events that have been reported. So if they halted the swine flu mass vaccination program with only 4,000 reported adverse events, and that's more than enough, why isn't there more questions being asked? Why aren't there more questions being asked as to why there have been this many deaths attributed to the COVID-19 vaccine, as well as injuries? And if these numbers are true, and actually there are studies that are indicating that, that there's an underreporting of adverse events, I don't see this as being life-saving necessarily. I do, I do agree with, with Franklin Graham when he said that oil and wine were medicines of that day. But they certainly weren't experimental, nor did they alter the DNA within a person's body. To that point, though, what were the options of those who had diseases and illnesses such as leprosy or fevers, blood issues, etc.? Right? There weren't many. In the story of the woman with the blood issue, the scriptures tell us that she spent all that she had on doctors, on physicians, who couldn't do anything for her. But when she heard that Jesus was passing through town, she did all that she could to get to him. Right, So much so that that she was on the ground straining just to touch the hem of his garment. Because she was thinking, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I could be healed. She had heard about Jesus. And at the point of touching Jesus' robe, the Bible says that she was immediately healed. And Jesus did what the medicine of the day and others could not do. He healed her. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1 through 6, the scriptures tell the story of God extending the life of King Hezekiah. It says this, In those days Hezekiah became sick, and it was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. How would you like to have that for, for news for the day? Well, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked with you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend the city. Now there's something to prayer and asking God for healing. There is. It's, that's biblical. We find that all throughout scripture. He's not only able, but he's willing. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. There is a need for doctors and nurses in the medical community. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I'm thankful for them, especially one in particular, my mom. She's been an RN for over 50 years and has lovingly ministered to people by using her skills to the glory of God and for the good of others. But she would be the first to tell you that ultimately our trust is in Christ, who is our great physician. From my perspective, though, It seems that we live in a culture that quickly gives a pill to solve a problem when in fact there may be so much more that can be done for our healing. For example, a change of diet, less fried foods, less fat, less sugar, or change of lifestyle. Get outdoors more, exercise more, quit smoking, uh, be less sedentary, uh, becoming emotionally and mentally healthy, and most importantly, your spiritual health. I mean, God has so intricately woven us together, we'll find that in Scripture, that our overall health is affected by our spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental well-being. But oftentimes, those aren't taken into consideration when it comes to health. 
specifically, and generally speaking, rather, by the medical community. Now, Franklin Graham noted that, that he's seen firsthand the suffering that has come due to COVID-19. Many, I would think, would, would echo his observation of the effects of COVID. I mean, it, it's a real illness, Right, this this podcast is not to try to, to to say that it's not a real illness. It absolutely is, and unfortunately, there are many who've been affected with varying degrees of sickness as as well as death. I mean, personally, I've witnessed friends and family members who have been gravely ill due to the virus, but thankfully, have recovered. There are some of you who are listening to this podcast who've had friends and family members die due to COVID nineteen, and I, I really am I am truly sorry for your loss. And, and I do pray that you will find healing and hope in the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. However, not to diminish the reality or suffering that has come with COVID, I do think it's appropriate and necessary to point out that, that we've also seen the suffering of those who've battled cancer and other diseases and illnesses for, for which there is yet a cure. If nothing else, it, it should remind us that we live in a sin-marred, fallen world full of difficulties and trials that manifest in part by way of sickness and death. For those who've set their hope in Christ by trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection, sin has been atoned for. It's been paid for, and death has been defeated. That is glorious hope for for today and for what is yet to come. Now, I'm not here to bash Franklin Graham. He has done a lot of incredibly good things. And he's not alone in this among evangelical leaders. Another evangelical who has had much to say about the vaccine and has sought to make the case that Christians should take the vaccine is Curtis Chang. Curtis Chang is consulting professor in innovation and organization at Duke Divinity School. He's won an Obama White House Award for Social Innovation as the founder and the head of Consulting Within Reach, a firm serving nonprofits and government. He holds a faculty appointment at American University He's also a senior fellow at Fuller Theological Seminary. Interesting fact, though, Chang's nonprofit serves, you ready for this? Johnson & Johnson, who just so happens to manufacture one of the COVID-19 vaccines. I don't think that's coincidental. Curtis Chang has produced um, some short videos, by the way, um, where he's answering questions regarding Christians and the vaccine, And he said, quote, we do make the case that Christians should indeed take the vaccine and do so for important biblical reasons, end quote. Now, the underlying theme in his videos is the importance of trust. That's that's what he goes on to say. Trust of the vaccine, trust of the experts, and yes, I'm putting experts in quotes, like the FDA, the CDC, and others, and our our need to trust our government leaders. Um, he's a lot more trusting than I am, I'll just say. He readily admits that um, he hasn't done the research on the vaccine and, and come to his own independent conclusion as to why the vaccine is safe. Rather, he makes the point that he's a seminary professor and not a biologist or immunologist. He said, quote, and I'm quoting him here, I trust the vaccine because I trust experts who are tasked with understanding the science for me. One expert he cites is Dr. Francis Collins, who who uh, apparently claims to be a devout evangelical Christian, and, and I, don't, I don't know his faith. I know who Dr. Francis Collins is. Um, but Dr. Collins works for the NIH, the National Institute of Health. Does, does that, By the way, does that sound familiar, the NIH? 
That's the same institution that Dr. Fauci is over, the organization who helped fund gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab, which now, it's being revealed, was the origin of the lab-created COVID-19. Right, And we're to trust experts who have knowingly deceived not just Americans but the world regarding the origins of the coronavirus. And by the way, this was, this was touted, saying that the virus was created in a lab was touted earlier on as a conspiracy theory. Senator Tom Cotton from uh, Arkansas, from the state that I live in, um, was one of the first, if not the first, to, to make mention that this, could have been, this virus could have been created in a lab. And he was excoriated. He was, he was, I mean, he was mocked. He was ridiculed um, within political circles and even those outside of the political spectrum. He was vilified in a lot of ways. But now what we're seeing is somewhat vindicating uh, what he had, um, the claim that he was making early on. So this is, this is not some conspiracy theory. What we're seeing is a lot of these quote-unquote conspiracy theories that were, that were initially um, labeled early on are starting to actually seem to be true. Now, I'm not going to get into other things that, that people have labeled conspiracy theories as well, the 5G technology and relating it to the vaccine. That, that's not this podcast, and I'm not going there. That's, to me, personally, that's just a, a waste of time right now. I, I, but focusing on this, I think, is hugely important. In his videos, back to Professor Chang, he continues to try to, to make the case that we trust other medical treatment, specifically medicine. So that's kind of his case for trusting this vaccine, is that we trust other medical treatments, specifically certain medicines. Well, what Chang failed to mention is that the drugs to which he's referring have gone through the typical protocol of trials and testing, and they're relatively safe. They come with disclaimers that hold the pharmaceutical companies accountable. They're not experimental nor are they administered under the emergency use authorization as is the COVID-19 vaccine. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But back to pharmaceutical companies being held accountable. Have you, have you realized that, that on the commercials on radio or, or television, when they talk about the vaccines and encourage you to get this, there are no disclaimers on those commercials like you find with every other um, medicine or pharmaceutical product that you see advertised on television or radio. I mean, most of the commercial is spent talking about the side effects and a disclaimer for that medication or that medicine. You're not going to see that with a vaccine. If the vaccine was so good and it, it works well and it is safe, then why would these pharmaceutical companies like Pfizer and Moderna and Johnson & Johnson not be able to be held liable in a court of law for adverse effects or even death that would be caused or attributed to the vaccine? To me, that... That gives a, a huge reason um, to be hesitant, a huge red flag. Now, just so we're clear, the COVID-19 vaccine is an experimental and genetically modified drug that's not approved by the FDA. That's fact. Another fact is that the COVID-19 vaccine, specifically Moderna and Pfizer, has mRNA, which has never been approved to be used for human vaccines. Never. Now, let me kind of explain a little bit about, about mRNA, and this comes from uh, Dr. Fleming, who's a nuclear cardiologist and physicist, as well as other uh, immunologists and those who are in this field of study, right? Experts, but in some circles, these guys would not be considered experts because their assessment of this and their knowledge of this does not fit the narrative of those at the CDC, but mRNA, back in 2008, some doctors translated what it means for cells to convert DNA into working proteins. It's a process that they described as a, quote, decoding of instructions 
end quote, for making proteins involving mRNA transcription. So they label this as the workhorses of the human cell. They're encoded protein molecules that help the body metabolize nutrients, meaning life-sustaining chemical reactions that convert food into energy and remove metabolic waste. In other words, encoded protein molecules perform functions that are necessary for all human life. And that is what this vaccine technology is manipulating. With mRNA vaccine technology, the information in your DNA that is transferred to messenger RNA, that's mRNA, molecules, molecules are altered. This manipulation is called transcription. And during this process, the mRNA is read by its newly mutated genetic code, and its genetic code is the new template for the chain of amino acids that will form a protein. Now, according to these scientists, this is where it gets really scary. Scientists are now fully capable of transcribing, translating, and mutating genes. And they now believe they have enough research to fully profile these transcripts of cells with the complete set of RNA transcripts. This research explains why mRNA vaccines have a tremendous impact on cell functioning and why so many deadly side effects have already been observed, including several blood clots, severe blood clots, excruciating nerve pain, blindness, deafness, and death, and many other side effects. But also know that the COVID vaccine was lim had limited trials, and these limited trials were unprecedented for a vaccine. So, so all COVID-19 vaccines currently in use, and this is something I think is so important to know, that all COVID-19 vaccines currently in use in the United States are available under emergency access only. The situation is similar in Europe where, where four COVID-19 vaccines have been granted what they call conditional marketing authorizations. It's a fast-track mechanism that can be used in emergencies. And these can be converted into standard marketing authorizations pending positive data after authorization. But this has not yet happened for any COVID-19 vaccine that's being administered. So as hundreds of millions of people around the world get vaccinated, it may seem like like parsing of words or wordsmithing to highlight the fact that none of the COVID-19 vaccines in use are actually approved. Through an emergency access mechanism known as the Emergency Use Authorization, or EUA, the products being rolled out still technically remain, according to the FDA, investigational. And I'm linking to that FDA site on my blog. Fact sheets distributed to the vaccines are clear, and this is a quote there is no FDA-approved vaccine to prevent COVID-19. Again, I'm linking to the FDA's website so you can see that yourself. So, so back to Professor Chang, trusting the vaccine, this is different than trusting medicines that have been approved by the FDA and, again, proven to be effective and relatively safe. And this is where Curtis Chang tries to connect this to the Scriptures. Again, it's no different than what Franklin Graham did with the text he referenced. This is eisegesis. It's not proper exegesis of the biblical text. So Chang says, and I'm quoting him, and here is the important biblical principle. That's a good thing. And by saying a good thing, he's referring to trusting experts and institutions. He goes on to say, God designed us to trust institutions and experts. This was true in the way God designed the society of Israel to trust kings, prophets, priests, and judges. This was true in the Great Commission of the New Testament when Jesus entrusted the gospel to his disciple, his original disciples. The disciples were to be his designated experts, and he expected the world to take in truth by trusting their words. God designed humans to know truth through trust, end quote. 
So what Curtis Chang is telling Christians is that we should get the vaccine because we're designed by God to trust institutions and experts, and the Bible said we should trust them. Now, this is a seminary professor's unbiblical hermeneutic effort to convince Christians that we should take the vaccine. This isn't just scary. It's, it's sad. So here's the bottom line. There's no clear biblical text that either explicitly says or implicitly infers that followers of Jesus, or anyone else for that matter, should take the vaccine. Professor Chang speaks of, of trust in the vaccine. Well, if those who are vaccinated trust it to work, then trust that it will protect them from those who choose not to be vaccinated. I mean, if we're talking about trust and all. I mean, each are entitled to their opinion and beliefs. And that's true for every single one of you who are listening and, and, and everyone who is faced with this choice. It's a choice. You're entitled to your opinion about the vaccines. But to use poor hermeneutics in order to convince people, specifically Christians, that Jesus would want to, us to get the shot is irresponsible, and it's in a disregard to high, a high view of Scripture and biblical truth. I want to strongly encourage you to always go back and study the Scriptures rather than just taking someone's word for it. This term, expert, gets thrown out a lot. But here's what I will tell you. There are many people who have not gone to seminary who are well-studied in the Scripture that know just as much about the Scriptures as those who have degrees in seminaries. Now, I'm not dissing degrees in seminaries or professors because I, I've, I've gotten my master's degree in, um, in theology and divinity with biblical languages. I have an understanding of the Greek language and the Hebrew language, specifically the Greek. So I, I don't know that I would label myself an expert, but I certainly have the, the education that many of these other professors may, may have had. I've spent time in God's Word, just like many of you have, and I would encourage you to spend more time in God's Word and Seek out what the scriptures say. Don't always trust or take someone else's word for it. And when they do speak, and they say that they're claiming the scriptures say this, go back and measure it against the scriptures and see if it's consistent. Consistent. Does the Spirit of God, does, it, does, he re, does, does that truth resonate with the Spirit of God who dwells in you? You know, two of the greatest travesties, travesties rather, taking place within the churches is the lack of knowledge when it comes to the Word of God and a willing acceptance to, to the bending of Scripture to our feelings and experiences. I mean, that's why we're seeing progressive Christianity run rampant in the church. We must get back to letting Scripture interpret Scripture and accurately handling the Word of Truth. So I want to encourage you, be watchful of those who scripture, that Scripture defines as wolves in sheep clothing. Those who subtly lead you down a seemingly comfortable road of compromise, but straight into the enemy's ambush. So just be careful. Know the word. Study the word of God. Become knowledgeable of the scriptures. So in closing this podcast, I think we need to ask this question. So how do we navigate this issue regarding the vaccine, being a Christian, or even if you're not a follower of Jesus? Uh, well, there's. I'm going to give you kind of a few bullet points here that, that maybe you need to consider as, as we talk about how do we navigate this issue. The first is talk to God about it before you talk to others. Specifically for one who professes to be a follower of Jesus, make this a matter of conversation with God in prayer. I mean, ask God for wisdom and discernment. I love what Scripture says in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So ask, ask for God's wisdom and discernment. He, he wants to give you wisdom. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways. 
In everything you do, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps. The other thing is to ask good questions. One would be is, who or what am I putting my trust in? Ultimately, our trust is to be in God, that he's sovereign over all creation and all the days ordained for us um, were set before him, but before we were even formed. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now, I'm not using that as a, as a pretext to say that you don't need to get the vaccine. What I'm saying is, who or what are you putting your trust in? I think one thing that is evident that there are many people who are more controlled by fear than they are trusting and in their faith. I mean, I think we've we've seen that. I think that that's, I think that's readily uh, readily evident before us. So, who or what are you putting your trust in? Again, this is not saying you shouldn't get the vaccine. I'm just saying that we shouldn't put our trust in anything but Jesus, um, as it pertains to our life. Here's another one: is due diligent research. What experts am I going to trust? I mean, if you trust your doctor and you're convinced that he or she has done the research, then certainly take that into account. Share that with him or share that with her, what you've learned, as well as your concerns. And then you have to determine, is that trustworthy? Does that resonate with you after the research that you've done? Another one is to seek wise and godly counsel. I believe that's biblical, that we're to seek wise and godly counsel. But here's what I believe Scripture also says, that we should measure it against the truth of Scripture. Don't just say, take someone's advice who claims to be a believer, claims to be someone who is an expert and knows the Word of God, and say, well, they must know what they're talking about, therefore I'm going to do what they say. That's led a lot of people down some paths that lead to some really poor theology. So make sure you seek wise and godly counsel, but always measure it against Scripture. And then lastly, uh, and just as important, is be respectful and considerate of the choices of others. Um, we've seen this become a divisive issue within the church, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Our faith is in Jesus. He holds our life in his hands, and whether you choose to get the vaccine or not get the vaccine, your life is in God's hands. But what's happened is within the church, it has been allowed to become a divisive issue, and I put that back on the pastors who are called to shepherd the church, called to shepherd those who have been entrusted to you. And I pray for those pastors who are listening that you would be careful not to use Scripture as a means uh, by which to get people to get the vaccine and try to use that as, as grounds, biblical grounds, to do something that Scripture doesn't speak to explicitly or implicitly. So I encourage you to be careful. And then, again, just be respectful and considerate of the choices of others. So I hope that this has been helpful for you. I hope that as you take this, again, you do your own research. Don't just take what I've said here on this podcast and say, well, this is what's been said. I'm just going to take this and I'm going to go with this. But I do encourage you to do your own research. And more importantly, spend time in prayer with God. Seek out the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? What does God's word call us to do? And who does God call us to be as followers of Christ? What are the things that we're to focus on most what are the things that are essential? And what are the things that maybe aren't as essential? Doesn't mean they're not important, but they're not essential necessarily. So I hope that you'll think through this and I encourage you to share this on your social media platforms and with your friends 
um, so that you can begin the conversation with each other and have some understanding. And again, be, be respectful and considerate of the choices of others. Well, thanks so much for listening to this episode. And I look forward to you joining me again next time on Crossroads and Culture. <laughs>